Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. So we kicked off uh, last week this series called Boundaries, where we've been taking a look at um, creating some healthy boundaries in our lives so that we can protect the things that matter most to us. And uh, last week, we, we kind of laid the foundation for this series and our theme verse that we talked about last week that is our theme verse throughout the series is found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, and here's what it says. It says, a prudent person or a wise person, they foresee danger and they take precautions. The simpleton, meaning the fool, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And so last week, um, we talked about uh, really two truths around uh, this idea of boundaries. The first one that's important for us to make sure that we continue to, to understand throughout the, the series is that boundaries are personal convictions, okay? It's, uh, that means that boundaries that I have in my life might be different than boundaries that you have in your life. Uh, this series is really designed not so that you do all the boundaries that we talk about, but to really be a conversation starter so that you can begin to ask those questions uh, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your own life. Like, what are some healthy boundaries that I can have uh, to protect me from the second truth, which we talked about boundaries being a warning, right? They're a warning that we are on the edge of danger, on the edge of sin. And so last week, I used this um, illustration, this story about rumble strips. Um, those are the, the, the ridges along the edges of the road that when you're driving and, and you begin to kind of wander off the road, your tires go over them and they make the loud noise. The rumble strips aren't in the danger zone, but they're there to warn you that on the other side of the road is danger. And uh, that's what boundaries are in our life. And we said this, the kind of big idea from last week was, was this statement, that it's less painful for us to bump into a boundary than it is for us to endure a disaster. That at the end of the day, it's less painful for us to set up some boundaries in our life that may restrict a little bit of freedom in order to protect us from danger that maybe we don't see on the other side. So today what I want to do is I want to I want to talk about boundaries, but I want to talk today through the lens of our relationships. And uh, I, want to, I want to really pay more attention to um, relationships as it relates to our friends, uh, because later in the series, we're going to also talk about boundaries in marriage as well. And so I've entitled today's uh, message, How to Avoid Relational Disasters. Could anybody uh, use that maybe 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, how to avoid some relational disasters? Hey, turn to two people and tell them you need this. Tell them you need this. He's preaching to you. How to avoid some relational disasters. Well, hey, we're going to be in uh, the book of Proverbs today. So you can begin to make your way there, but um, let's say our prayer together uh, out loud. Say this, Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So this idea of relationships, I don't know if you've kind of thought of it this way, but relationships are really at the core of who God is and what God's will is for our life. If you, if you really think about it, that when you look at the Trinity, the Trinity being God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that they are three in one, that they are in relationship with one another. So the very foundation of who God is, is birthed out of this context of relationships. Then you look all the way back to um, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and God creates Adam, right? And then what does God say about Adam? He says it's not good for man to be what? Alone. And then you look at how God has, has orchestrated and built the church. And the scripture talks about uh, the church being one body and many parts. And so the many parts, us, the giftings that you and I bring into this place, that it is the relationship between the gifts that we have that develop the body of Christ. And so if, if relationships are God's idea, and if they are that instrumental to us enjoying life and becoming who God has created us to be, then don't you think that Satan would do everything he possibly could to try to undermine it, right? What is Satan's primary goal is to take everything that God uses to bring blessing and to pervert it and to twist it so that it ends up bringing cursing in our life. And so when you look at the idea of relationships, Satan's number one goal is, is meant to take what God has created to bring enjoyment and fulfillment in our life and to use it to bring pain and regret. Has anybody had some regret in their life because of some relationships through the years? I think we all could raise our hand on that. And so, so how he does this, how Satan uses this is he tries to attack our relationships because he understands this primary truth about all of our relationships, and it's that our friends, well, they impact the direction and the quality of our life. That the friends that we have, that we choose to have in our life, they will impact the direction and the quality of our life. And so if, if relationships are that powerful and that important, then wouldn't you think that we would be wise to to build some healthy boundaries in the area of our relationships so that we can experience what God intended us to experience rather than what Satan is trying to get us to experience. And so I want us to, to look at uh, this scripture, and this is kind of like the, the, uh, the key scripture for today, and then we'll read a few more. But in Proverbs uh, chapter 13, Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20. Here's what uh, the writer Solomon um, wrote. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. And then he says this, he says, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, if you look at this verse, um, there is a promise and there is a warning. The first part of the verse is a promise that if we will walk with the wise, that we will become wise. 
But the second part of this verse is a warning. And the warning is that a companion of fools, well, at some point along their journey is gonna suffer harm. And so let's, let's take a look at that real quick. Let's take a look at the promise, the first part, that walking with the wise and we become wise. You know, all of us in our life need wisdom. We need wisdom to manage our finances. We need, definitely need wisdom to raise our kids. We need wisdom to deal with conflict in our life. We need wisdom to know how to respond to different situations. We need wisdom and, and how to make decisions about our future. And so if wisdom is that important in our life, then, then we need to take a look at one, like what is biblical wisdom? And then secondly, we need, to, we need to look at how we get that in our life. So what is wisdom? Let me ask you this question, this kind of leading question. Um, what's your favorite ice cream? On the count of three, I want you to scream it out loud, um, and we're going to hear all kinds of different flavors, but, but on the count of three, I want you to scream and tell me your, your favorite ice cream. One, two, three. Yes, exactly, right? Uh, here's my favorite ice cream, Neapolitan. Any Neapolitan? I didn't hear it at all out there. Um, but here's what, if you don't know what Neapolitan is, it's, um, it's what? It's vanilla strawberry and chocolate. And they're all kind of in there and they're, they're, they're segmented um, separately. And, and if you think about Neapolitan ice cream, um, if you take one of those flavors away, then it's no longer Neapolitan ice cream, right? It's either just vanilla and chocolate or maybe just strawberry or chocolate and strawberry, but it's not Neapolitan until you have all three flavors that are in there. And, and it's kind of like that when it comes to wisdom because wisdom has three different components that if you take one of these components away, then it's no longer biblical wisdom. And here's, here's the three components. The first one is knowledge. And it's, it's really just about information. How many know that it's one thing to have information, it's a whole other thing to know when to use it, right? And so the first part of biblical wisdom is that we, we have knowledge, but the second part is that we also have understanding. Understanding is knowing how to apply the knowledge that we have. It's also about timing. It's knowing like you've got the knowledge, like the decision that, that, that you need to make, but it's also knowing, having wisdom is knowing the timing of when that decision needs to be made. And then the third component to biblical wisdom is righteousness, that it's understanding ultimately the direction for your life, God's will for your life. So it's these three components of, of knowledge, of, of having information, like like, you know, it's one thing to memorize scripture, but it's a whole nother thing to apply it, right? What did James say? He's like, don't just, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word as well. Um, and then the righteousness component of really having a sense of, okay, I know this about what the word says. I know that this would be the right application or timing, but at the end of the day, God, what are you saying? Like, what, what are you saying relating to this? situation. And if you really, 
really think about your life and look at the rear view mirror of your life and, and all of the valleys that you've gone through and the disappointments and the despair and the regrets, my guess is, is that you're a lot like me, that the majority of those came out of dysfunctional, hurtful, painful relationships where we weren't operating in biblical wisdom, right? And, and Solomon says that this biblical wisdom in our life is so important that he says in Proverbs chapter four, verse seven, he says, above all. And then he says, before all. So above everything and before you do anything, what does he say? Get wisdom. And so how do we get it? Well, we see that one of the ways that we get it in Proverbs 13, 20 is that we hang around wise people. We have people in our life that that have information and they, they know how to apply it and they have a sense of the direction of where God is leading their life. And Solomon says, when we hang around those kind of people in our life, that we ultimately become wise ourselves. But then watch this. Then he's got the second part. Then he's got the warning. And he says, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, what I find interesting about this, and it's, it's interesting enough that it's worth noting, is that it would, be, it would be easy for us to assume that if we, if Solomon says that if we walk around wise people that we'll become wise, that if we walk around fools that we would become fools, like that would be the natural thing that we would assume Solomon is saying, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. What he says is that when we surround ourselves with fools, and how does, how does the Bible define a fool? It's, it's somebody that disregards God and disregards his ways, okay? Somebody that disregards God and disregards his ways that Solomon says when we surround ourselves with those kind of people in our life, that eventually, it may not happen right away, it might be not, may not be next month, it may not be next year, but Solomon says, and this is a biblical principle, which means it don't matter how much you try to reason with it, you can't change it, right? That he says that at the end of the day, at some point, eventually, you are going to suffer harm. At some point. I like to think of it kind of like this, like, like maybe you aren't the one that brought the grenade, and maybe you're not the one that pulled the pin on the grenade. And maybe you're not even the one that threw the grenade. But at some point when the explosion happens, the shrapnel's hitting you. Right? And that's what Solomon is, is saying here because he understands that our friends, that they impact the direction and the quality of our life. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you five I want to give you five relational boundaries. These are boundaries that I've implemented in my own life. Um, there may be some of these that you're like, oh yeah, I do those right now. You may see some that you feel like um, you can add to uh, your own life. Um, I'll tell you this, there's a whole lot more than five and these aren't my only five relational boundaries, but these are five that, um, that I wanted to share with you today 
And uh, I want to remind you before I go into these that boundaries are not what? They're not sin. They're not sin. All right? So as I start going through these, I'm not saying if you do these that you're sinning. I'm saying that these are boundaries in my life. They are the rumble strips along the edge of the road that when I start bumping up against some of these boundaries that I know that disaster is on the other side, all right? So here we go. Number one, you're getting close to the edge when your friends talk negatively about others. Relational boundaries, boundaries to help friendships, that you know you're getting close to the edge when your friends talk negatively about others. I love what uh, Eleanor Roosevelt said. She said, great minds, well, they discuss ideas. Average minds, they discuss events. And small minds discuss people. That's a mic drop statement right there. Listen, when we have... When we have friends in our life that are constantly talking negatively about other people, we have, we have a few choices um, that we have to decide between um, related to that. The first choice is, is we make the choice to confront them. Now listen, the Bible talks about um, peacemakers, right? The, the, uh, Jesus talked about being a peacemaker. There's a huge difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. The Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to be peacekeepers. A peacekeeper is somebody that doesn't want to stir the pot, right? And so you can be in an environment or situation or in conversations and stuff's being said that you know is, is inappropriate, that's not the type of things that need to be said. And what a peacekeeper will do will choose not to say anything because they want to protect the peace in the room. What a peacemaker will do is will step, insert themselves into the conversation or the situation, bringing the truth of God's word along with the fruit of the spirit and say, you know, maybe there's a better way. Or maybe it's, it's, it's looking at the person that's having the conversation and, and taking uh, the back of the person that's not there to be able to argue their point, right? And so the Bible talks about the importance of us as followers of Christ being peacemakers, not peacekeepers. So we have that choice. We could confront them. The, the other choice that we have is we could leave them. Yeah, most of us don't like to do that, do we? But that's one of the choices that we can leave them, that we can choose to make new friends. Or the third choice is, is we can stay and act like nothing's happening. And here's the problem when we do the latter, is that we began to hit against this boundary in our life that Solomon says that eventually we will end up suffering Harm And how do we end up suffering harm? Well, maybe we're brought into all of their drama, right? And so we begin to notice in our own life that there's not a lot of peace there anymore. Every time we get around this certain group of people, there's just always a bunch of drama that's happening, right? Or maybe, maybe we become guilty by association. Like, 
I don't know if you've ever been there in the past to where um, you didn't do anything wrong, but because you were with that group of people, you became guilty by association. Or another one that gets us is we begin to internalize their toxicity, right? Their toxic nature and the words and, and their perceptions about people and the more that we're around it, it begins to kind of seat down in us. And so then we begin to notice that we start to talk bad about other people or, um, or this one, this is, a, this is a good one. We eventually become their target. Here, here's, what, here's what Andrea's dad uh, told Andrea when she was growing up. He said this, those that talk to you about others, talk about you to others. Those that will talk to you about other people will eventually talk about you to other people. Number two, second boundary. You're getting close to the edge when your friends are headed in the wrong direction. And I like to kind of think of this more of your closest friends, your your kind of inner circle, and they're, they're headed in the wrong direction. And here's why this is an important boundary to have in your life. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, the last part of that says, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. When I was a youth pastor, um, I would do this illustration um, with the teenagers and I would, I would have a, a chair um, on, the, on the stage or up in the front and I'd have somebody stand up in the chair, right? And then I would have somebody stand on the floor. And the illustration went kind of like this. The person that's standing up on the chair would reach down to the person in the floor and try to pull them up on the chair with them. And it was incredibly difficult and nobody could do it without the person on the floor taking a step up, right? But then I would ask the one on the floor to pull down and it was super easy for the person standing in the chair to get pulled down way easier than it was for them to pull somebody up. And, and that's kind of how it is um, with our relationships, that it's easier for people to, to pull us down into the mess that they're living in their own life than it is for us to pull them up. That at the end of the day, like just like the individual on the floor, there's no way that they would be pulled up to the chair unless they initiated that action with a step. And that's kind of how it is with our friends. And sometimes we, and I'm gonna address this kind of at the end, but sometimes we feel this this pressure or this expectation that we need to surround ourselves with a bunch of friends that are going in the wrong direction because I'm the only light that can be there in a dark place. But we have to understand that it's so much easier for us to be pulled down into their mess than it is for us to be able to pull them up out of the mess. And, um, and so that's the number two, that um, your friends are headed in the wrong direction. I love this. Uh, Paul unpacks this a little bit more in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And here's how he puts it there. He says, listen, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? And how can light live with darkness? Now, Paul's not saying, 
it's important that you understand this. He's not saying not to have friends that are not believers. He's saying just don't team up with them. Like don't, don't allow your inner circle of people that have the greatest influence in your life to be people that are headed in the wrong direction. And this is one of the reasons why um, small groups is so important um, as a church for you to get um, involved in. And our next semester starts in June and you'll start seeing um, a bunch of promo stuff happening towards the middle of May. And it's because we need to surround ourselves with people that are headed in the right direction. Imperfect people, I might add, none of us are perfect, but we all want the same thing in our life. And that is to be all that God has created us to be. And that's why that is so important. Um, The third one, you're getting close to the edge when you have to hide your faith around your friends. You have to hide your faith around your friends. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, one who is righteous, notice this, is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so as as a believer, as a follower of Christ, what's the role that we play? We're a guide, right? Turn to two people, tell them, be a guide. Be a guide. Your job's to be a guide. Listen, when we can't be a guide pointing them into the right direction, then that should be a warning to us. And here's the reason why that has to be a warning to us is because the last part of that verse says that the way of the wicked, like this is the way that they operate in their life is to lead you astray. And so either at the end of the day, we are being a guide that is leading them closer to Jesus or they are leading us astray. There's no middle ground that's there. That we're either leading them closer to Jesus or they're leading us astray. The fourth uh, boundary is that you're getting close to the edge when you hide your behavior from the ones who care for you the most. Hide your behavior from the ones who care for you the most. John chapter three, verse 20 says, all who do evil, they hate the light and they refuse to go near it for their fear that their sins will be exposed. And I'll tell you, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people, um, they quit going to church over time because they're consumed with the guilt and the shame of I'm not perfect and I don't have my life all together. And so when they come into a place like this, there's this, there's this almost like this feeling of shame of, of the, um, being exposed with their life, um, Uh, And what it does is it ends up pulling them away. And so there's little motivation to come to church because their stuff's not resolved in their life. And um, listen, I want to tell you right out of the gate, like we are are a church for those kind of people. And none of us are perfect. 
Like I know how the enemy works and he'll try to, he'll try to like, you know, convince you that because you're still struggling with addiction or pornography or, or dealing with divorce or not the perfect parent or whatever, that you have no business coming into this place that the minute you walk in, like you're going to get struck by lightning or something like that. Like I get it. I've been there. But the reality is, is every single one of us in this room is imperfect. And every single one of us has a list, a list of sins and things that we are wanting to get rid of that, that we just can't seem to get rid of. And this is a place for us to come in and to press towards Jesus and to allow him to, to bring healing and to, to bring freedom in our life. And so don't ever, ever allow the enemy to, to whisper those into your mind and to keep you from this place. Like you are welcome here no matter where you are in your journey. Amen? Amen. Amen. So you look at this like, what John's saying here about their sins being exposed and, and you think of like, that's, that's what happened with Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve, they sin in the garden and what was the first thing they did? They covered themselves and they hid. And so hiding our, our behavior from the people that love us the most is, is one of the biggest warning signs that there's danger on the other side. The fifth and the final one is this. You're getting close to the edge when you say you're going to go, but you're not going to participate. That you're going to go, but you're not going to participate. Here's, here's what Solomon's warning said in Proverbs 13, 20. Again, walk with the wise and become wise, but for a companion of fools suffers harm. What Solomon is trying to warn us about is that oftentimes we can make the right choices with the wrong people, but eventually it's still going to lead us to regrettable outcomes. The more we allow ourselves to be in environments and with this mindset that, that I'm not going to I'm not going to party, I'm not going to sleep around, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to do those drugs, I'm not going to whatever, but I'm going to be there in the midst of it, right? But I'm just not going to do it. That what Solomon is saying is at some point, at some point along the line, you're going to suffer harm. And I know when it comes to these boundaries, like, especially as it relates to being a, a believer and trying to, trying to try to head the right direction in our life and then feeling the, the weight and the pressure of, of being a light in a dark place, that it becomes one, of the, becomes one of the hardest things for us to manage in our life. And I remember when I accepted Christ, I was... I was um, a month before I turned 21. And I was so involved in the, the party scene and college and all those kind of things and had, had parties at, at our apartment all the time. And God got a hold of my life. And, and I realized in that moment that if I, if I accepted him into my life and then I went back doing the same things I was doing, that it'd never last. 
And I told God this, it's, it's kind of cheesy, and I know it is, and I probably shouldn't even tell you, but I'm going to tell you. But I told God, I said, God, I'm going to date you for a year. I'm not going to date anybody else. It's going to be me and you for a year. And I made the decision for two months. I locked myself up in the apartment. I went to classes and then would come back. And I was in church every time that the doors were open. I was involved in multiple, you know, small groups. And I would just go to apartment, turn off no TV. And I would just put on some worship music and I would just read the Bible and I'd get phone calls and that was back answering machines. Anybody remember the answering machines back in the day? And people would be calling and asking when the next party is. And I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call them back. And what I realized is that if I didn't sever the tie between me and all of those people in my life, then there would never be a point that I would be able to come back and be a light in their life. And I think sometimes what we do is we, we try to go back and be a light before we really get the light lit in our own life. And we wonder why we just never really like this Christianity thing, like why it just never really takes off in our life. And it's because we've never, we've never gotten ourselves around the right people in the right places long enough for God to light the fire in our life. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know the relationships that you have, like teenagers and college students. That's probably one of the hardest things because you want to be accepted and, you know, you want their popularity is a real thing that kind of tugs at you. But at the end of the day, the most important relationships we can have in our life are going to be relationships that help us move in the right direction to light the fire of God in our life so that one day we can be strong enough, recovered from alcohol, to be able to walk into a bar and not be tempted to drink and to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be, to be delivered from pornography or delivered from whatever lifestyle to the point that you can insert yourself into an environment where you're bringing the peace of God, Right? You're bringing the light of God rather than being tempted to go back into your own ways. Friend, relationships. Our friends, they impact the direction and the quality of our life. And I've learned this through the years that people never regret boundaries, but they always regret not having them. If you want all that God has for you and you want the kind of relationships in your life that bring peace and grace and happiness and fulfillment and joy, then you've got to have the courage to set up some boundaries to keep you from the edge. Hey, would you bow your head with me today? Close your eyes. I want you to ask this question. I want you to pray it in this moment just between you and God. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? 
What are you saying to me today? Maybe you're here today and the Holy Spirit is starting to kind of bring to your mind some relationships that have been pulling you in the wrong direction. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is convicting you, like maybe, maybe you're talking about other people behind their back and negatively about other people. Maybe you're the one that's trying to draw other people away from God. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today? Friend, I'll tell you this, is that whatever he speaks to your heart in this moment, your courage and willingness to say yes and to walk in that direction will be transformational in your life, in your journey with him. Father, today as we, as we hear your word and the importance of having the right kind of friends in our life, that, that when we walk with the wise, that we become wise, when we surround ourselves with people that don't just have information, but they have understanding and they have a sense of your direction in their life, that, that God, when we surround ourselves with those kind of people that we ultimately become wise ourselves. And Lord, I believe that that is the heart and the desire of every single one of us in this room today. But Father, I lift up those today that, that may be companions of fools, that they recognize today that, Lord, they're allowing the wrong voices into their life. And Lord, I pray that today that you would give them the discernment to see it, and the courage to change it. Father, I pray, God, your hand upon all of our lives, that may we walk in the, the promise of healthy relationships and may they bring joy and fulfillment in our lives that ultimately at the end of the day, make us stronger and better. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening. And we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.